Today on Indivisible Westchester, the podcast, Undoing Racism. Westchester's own Reverend Kim McNair explains what undoing racism means and how that journey can change your life. Plus, a discussion with the women of Cure and how they are helping their own local community start on that very journey. Reverend McNair, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Let's start with the basics. When people talk about undoing racism, what exactly does that mean? We are really talking about um, delving into history, going all the way back to when the first Dutch ship came and looking at how what happened since 1619 and even since the Doctrine of Destiny and other historical moments, looking at what that has done to create um, the systemic oppression that we're dealing with today. And then once we know the history and once we have an understanding and an analysis of how this, this has been baked into our very existence, then we can begin to undo what's been done to us. But you have to know what's been done. So it's really like an extended history lesson. Oh my gosh, it's like the history lesson that we never had in elementary school, middle school, high school, or sometimes even college, yeah. Right, I mean, I never had that. Did you have that growing up? Uh, No, no. And why, why is that? Why do you think? I think, well, you know, I think it's because we have a way of, we have a way of telling history that favors the victor, Mm -hmm. and we'll tell stories about um, underserved people, marginalized people, sorry. We will. We have a way of telling stories about marginalized people that still tell the story of the victor in a very positive light. Right. So the way history has been shaped in order to perpetuate a system is, is the reasons why we don't have this history. And, and honestly, you know, I've started telling people Google is free. Right. There's so much information out there that we're not tapping into and it's I, I think personally for me it was because I didn't know what I didn't know uh-huh so I I guess one of the things that I would I would think would be important is that it's okay if you don't know because this is simply just something we all haven't been taught yes and, and I think sometimes when people find out you know some people get a little defensive but it's really you're right it's okay if you didn't know because you weren't taught it, but once you know, like, I can't unring the bell. Right. I know what I know now, and I have to act on what I know. Right. So, so now you're giving workshops on undoing racism. How did you become involved then in this, in this line of work and, you know, education, and why is it important to you? I got started when, so I'm a, I'm a clergy person, but I work full-time for a nonprofit, and the, um, the CEO at the time received funding to send staff to the workshop. And so we had large groups of staff going to the workshop. So I went to my first workshop, I'd say about seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And then of course my mind was blown like most people when they go, but then I went a couple more, I went a few more times to the workshops because you know, every time you go, you have a different experience. The people in the room are different. The trainers are different. You, you pick up on something in this workshop that you didn't pick up in a previous workshop. So I just continued to go, and I, I started to connect with other people in the area who had attended the workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward today, I got um, invited to be um, a trainer and an or- 
organizer. And, and, you know, when people think of organizing, well, people have an idea of what organizing is. It's really helping people um, identify an issue, identify a challenge, identify a problem, and then creating analysis that will help them address that particular challenge. So I'm an organizer with the Institute, and then I've just recently this year started um, working on training teams. Mm -hmm. So I'm co-facilitating for workshops. So yeah, it's been... It's been about a seven-year process of really getting to where I am right now. But they're, I'm working with people who have been doing this for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Wow. So yeah. you're a reverend, a person yes. of faith. Why is this important to you on a spiritual level? Talk about that a little bit. What's been done to us has dehumanized us. And coming from my black Baptist perspective, um, I, I've, I've, my analysis is that race is, racism is a sin, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and I don't want to go all, you know, um, biblical on you, but. No, when you feel free. The, when you, go, go so biblical. I, I, I was taught that that word um, sin, actually, there's a translation that says that sin is missing the mark. And when we refuse to see the humanity of the person sitting next to us on the train or walking down the street on the other side of it. When we, when we willfully refuse to see their humanity, that's the sin. Mm -hmm. And that sin, that, that refusal to see each other as fully human, worthy of dignity and respect that is rooted and grounded in racism. Right. And so for me, this means that I have to preach differently. I have to teach differently. I have to walk around the world differently. It's a challenge to me as a person of faith to really understand and have this better and deeper analysis of how God sees every one of us. Has so it, that for me, that's, that's what's grounding me. Has it strengthened your faith or did it make you kind of question your faith at some point or both? Oh gosh, no, it it's, it strengthened it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. No one's ever asked that before. Yeah. I, I think it has, it has definitely strengthened it because it, it's, so it's kind of like when I think about the work that Jesus did, I think more about how he called people who had been pushed to the margins closer to him. Uh-huh. And if we're pushing people to the margin because of what we see when we look at them, the color of their skin, right? Right. Then that means that I have to, you know, this is really, this is going to sound really smarmy, but like, what would Jesus do? Pull people closer. Right. So I have to deepen that analysis. And, I, and it also means checking myself because, you know, one of the things we talk about in the workshop is the way oppression shows up. And so it shows up in a particular way for people of color. It shows up in a particular way for white people. And so in doing this work, it's made me address some of the ways that that oppression shows up in my life. And that is moving me towards a deeper faith. Interesting. So, yeah. so what does this undoing, you know, racism, training, education, awareness look like? Just give us a broad overview of, of you know, if I signed up for a workshop, what, what, what to what expect? What could you expect? Yes. You could expect to enter into a space with people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, nonprofits, 1%, 99%, black, white, brown, young, old, um, LGBTQIA, it's, it's the, the people who are facilitating are multi-generational, multi-racial, and that's what the, 
that's what the room looks like. So you, so we're just starting off like being in space with people. Sometimes you would never be in a common space with. Right. Um, so I can't like run through the workshop in in this uh, moment that we're having yeah. here, but I can tell you that one of the most critical pieces for me is always the history piece. There's a piece in the workshop where we review history. And, and, and that's the piece that people sit up and realize I never knew any of this stuff. So it's the history review. Um, we define race. Uh-huh. We define racism. Because it's really a workshop about organizing. And so if you're going to organize people around anti-racist work, you have to have the same language. And so a lot of the workshop is about breaking down what we've been taught and bringing in language that is common for all of us that we can use when we go out and we organize. Right. Because if you haven't been exposed to the workshop, then when I start talking about race and racism, you have one idea. But once you've been through the workshop, you're able to, one, explain, but then you're also linking up with other people across the planet because the Institute has been across the globe. You're linking up with other people who have also had that language. And that's what organizing really is. It's bringing people in, building leaders, talking about um, um, internalized uh, uh, um, oppression. I'm losing my words here. No, but it's, okay. um, so, there, so there's a process here. And, it's, and again, it's really about organizing right. and helping people get organized. Making people understand how they got to this point, the history, like, right, because it's not like this just happened overnight. This happened over hundreds of years, many, many, many years. It's ingrained in our history. And so now that once you fully understand that, then it's how do we move forward? That's it. Can we talk a little bit about intersectionality? Because I've actually listened to a talk that you gave on that. And I think that's just an important thing for people to understand. Uh, so can you kind of explain briefly what it is and why it's important that people are aware of it? So to draw, to connect these two dots, um, I actually would not have delved as deeply into the presentation I gave if it hadn't been for the work in the workshop. Because once I, once I started learning stories, then I wanted to hear more stories and I started to dig a little bit more and a little bit more. And I started to pay attention to language that we use every day that people don't even know was birthed out of the minds of black women. So the, um, the talk, the Ted talk that Kimberly Crenshaw gave was about how black women stand at the intersection of racism and sexism. And even within the piece of that, of that Ted talk, she provides us with history, the history of the, the lawsuits that were, um, the lawsuits that she was studying and how she came to frame just how racism shows up and then how sexism shows up. Mm-hmm. And for black women, racism and sexism show up in a very particular way. White women don't have to deal with racism and black men rarely have, if ever have to deal with sexism. And so the case that she was using was about a black woman who was launching a lawsuit and beca- and she was saying in this lawsuit that she had experienced racism and sexism. And so Kimberly Crenshaw's work, which is built on the work of other black women before her, really um, crystallized this note, this idea in that word intersectionality. So when we hear intersectionality, I, I get a little, I get a little tight when people don't give Kimberly Crenshaw credit for that word because she was using that word to describe a very particular experience. Right. It's a double whammy. Yes. I mean, and that's putting it lightly. 
Um, so, and what I thought was really moving about the TED talk was, you know, when she, she has a point, uh, where she, people are standing up and, and naming, uh, victims of police violence, men and people, Mm -hmm. most people in the, in the room, you know, were aware of, of men who had been victims of police violence. But when you, uh, when you said her name, right, say her name, um, it's, it's when you mentioned women who had been victims, right, nobody, you know. Very few people were aware. So again, right. that's like it, it was shocking. It was it was really it was really um, it was really moving. So if people want to find information about these workshops, where do they go? How how can so, I find information? Um, there we have uh, our our main office is located in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and they can go to PSAB P I S A B dot O R G. And currently in New York, in our tri-state area, there is an anti-racist alliance website where you can find out the workshop workshops that are um, scheduled right now. And in fact, um, over the summer and early fall months, we were holding um, faith-based uh, workshops, and we're actually planning on one for Northern Westchester. I'm working right now with some folks in Northern Westchester to start um, building our coalition of faith-based, anti-racist, uh, religious folks. Great. Yes, yes, I'm excited about that. That's really terrific. And I think the YWCA was holding some workshops, too. Yes, yeah, so we've had, the YWCA is a, a local partner, Westpac is a local partner. Um, so there are some groups around, but we're really trying to try to spread the gospel, if you would, yes. um, farther north into northern Westchester, because there's a lot of... Uh, you know, Westchester is four hundred over four hundred square miles, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. Right. So we're trying to get some 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 action up in uh, some activity going up in northern Westchester. That's terrific. Any final thought, Kim, Reverend McNair, that you'd like to to make just to sum things up? I you know I, I want to encourage people to to join the conversation. I want to encourage people to come to a workshop. Just you know take a minute just to hear the history this and and the workshop isn't about um laying blame or shaming it's really about helping people understand and develop their own analysis of the world around them in a way that they've never done before it's also a way to help people reclaim their humanity Mm -hmm. this this process of this this race-based society has claimed our humanity being in the workshop and you can talk to anyone who's gone and i would say 99.9 percent of people will say that this was the beginning of their reclamation of their their own humanity mm-hmm. so so come and join the conversation it can change your life absolutely reverend mcnair thank you so much for all that you're doing and thank you for giving us time today oh thank you i appreciate it this has been great I'm joined now by two wonderful women who are a part of CURE, the Coalition for Understanding Racism Through Education. Ladies, can you please introduce yourselves? Yes, my name is Nicole Alafanti. And I'm Conan Chef. So, ladies, thank you for being here today. Nicole, you're actually one of the original co-founders of Indivisible Westchester. Yes. But then you went to one of these Undoing Racism workshops, and it changed your life. Can you tell us about that? Um, yes. Um, 
I went to a workshop held at Nershaw High School, actually. It was free. Um, it was with David Peters, who is the founder of Nourishell Against Racism. Um, and it really, it, it answered many, many questions for me that I had had my whole life. I always lived in diverse spaces. I lived in the city. I lived in Nourishell. I lived in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I wasn't, you know, faces of black and brown people were not new to me. Um, but I felt a disconnect and I felt that I knew I had voices in my head that were biases and questions and confusions. As and a white so, woman. As a white woman, yes, I am a white, I am, I am someone who's come to be called white. <laughs> and, um, and so after the, the three days I spent with David in this incredible group, um, it completely changed the way I see things. I understood systemic and institutional racism, how it's What is institutional us. racism, quickly? So I think, I think where people want to talk about racism is interpersonal. They want to say how they feel who their friends are, who their neighbors are, how they treat black people, you know, um, white people. But institutional racism is literally the, the historical fact that our institutions in America were built to work for white people. Um, and that through these institutions, we see oppression in healthcare, education, the judicial system um, against people of color. So this workshop started to connect the dots for you. Absolutely. And so then after the workshop, you... What did you do? <laughs> um, so I spent um, a year and a half sitting every Monday night with the New Roar folks and listening to people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and races, quote unquote races. Um, I learned more than my head could even, uh, you know, hold. Um, and it inspired me to bring this conversation to Larchmont Mamaroneck. I used to live in Nurshell. I don't really, I'm not a stakeholder there anymore, but I am here. Um, so Cure was born of those conversations and wanting to share this information. So did you two find each other through this work? No, actually, I met Nicole through an IW um, canvassing event, I love and it. <laughs> her and I went door to door. And while we were going door to door to get out the vote, we also discussed uh, issues related to race and racism. And um, I think a few months later, uh, Nicole reached out to me to come to an event where they wanted to bring people together from the community to discuss where they see um, Cure heading as to a good area. So what is Cure about now, and if you were to explain it to somebody who had no idea what this was? So we, uh, the elevator pitch that I use is that um, Coalition of Understanding Racism Through Education is a local organization here to educate the residents of Largemont and Mamaroneck about institutional and systemic racism and not interpersonal racism. That comes so, up. but Yeah, it does come <laughs> up, but we use it as... Um, a lot of times when I talk to an individual about cure, we talk about um, access to wealth, the education system, the, uh, the school to prison pipeline, and we talk about these issues because oftentimes individuals have preconceived no notions about in other individuals of different races, and um, oftentimes when we talk about it and they bring up their true feelings, we're able to unpack it by discussing where these feelings come from and usually, with the right tools, we're able to figure out where this comes from and what system they were um, they were exposed to that brought these viewpoints. Can I interject? Absolutely. I, I want to say it's important that we also say that we're learning as we go. Mm -hmm. So 
it must be known that we don't come as the experts on institutional racism, but that this is actually a community learning. I'm learning at every event, and we bring in facilitators, and we bring in people who've done this work for decades to talk with us. So, you know, we're, we're not here to say, like, we're teaching you. You know, we're actually learning with our community. Right, it's a process, and that must yeah. be, makes it maybe a little more fulfilling, right? Because it's a journey. It's really fulfilling. It is a journey. It's a marathon, as we know. Yeah. It's definitely something that I think once you go down the rabbit hole, you don't turn back. Um, and it's very fulfilling, and it's sometimes very troubling, and confusing and as as a white person I mean Connie can say how she presents but as a white person um, there's a lot of humbling involved there's a lot of you know knowing when to listen when to speak um, and just when to kind of um, know that you're you don't know something <laughs> yeah that's true so one of the um, examples that I use when someone were to ask me oftentimes the information that I'm sharing with them is information that I learned from one of our events um, and so it's constantly we're learning because each event that we do is focused on one particular area. We did an event on redlining, so it was we were able to communicate about those issues. We're doing one about access to health care. Um, we're doing uh, we did the one related to um, the desegregation of the, schools. Yeah, the desegregation of schools. Criminal justice system. Would criminal? Yes, there's so many that each time we go to we have an event. We all go to these events also. We do our own undoing racism training, um, separate and apart oftentimes, and uh, so we're constantly learning ourselves. But each time we're learning, we're learning about facts and information that we can share with others. I think just by background, since I'm a lawyer, I would never be able to argue with, you know, tell someone something without having factual background or at least legal arguments to support what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. there's case law that we could um, cite to related to how, um, individuals did not have access to um, getting a home equity loan, things like that. So you really need to come with facts, and the only way you can come with facts is by constantly educating yourself. What's the response been in the community? Um, in the la our last season, let's say, from last August of 20, I guess, 18 through the summer of 2019, we've served about you know 500 people um, between our events, and we are talking right now to mostly people who, you know, are open to this conversation and the response has been great I mean I think people want more that's the good thing they sometimes walk out even I walk out of an event like oh my god I need to sit there for another three hours you yeah, know right. so we do we, there's we not have, enough time yeah people thing, want right? more and, and people ask us what we're doing and um, um, it's been really fulfilling in that way what about for you um, it's been fulfilling but it's also been very hard some of the conversations we have are very difficult conversations and why is that um, I think because there is an emotional reaction, particularly for people of color, um, because an individual is who's never experienced it um, is learning about it, and then for people who've experienced it, they're reliving moments. Um, and so I think it's oftentimes can be a difficult conversation, but definitely one that is needed. And I think having that emotion helps um, individuals who haven't experienced see the impact of it. I see. So it's don't be. So it's don't be afraid of your emotional response embrace it and use it to um, create change correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely I think this is I personally feel like this is the toughest toughest topic that we are dealing with because it's at the root of how we built this country right and on some level whether you're completely asleep or completely awake you know it's brewing and so we're I think cure has been this strange um, 
force in the community where people are like, I don't know if I want to even go near what they're doing because they're going to call me out or I'm going to be called a racist. Or, and that's not at all what we're doing. We are literally saying, hey, this is you know, the root of what we need to get to. We want to discuss it together. We want to discuss it with love and, and facts. And, um, and I think that's like something that people need to know that are especially white folks, because we're talking to a predominantly white community, mm -hmm. that this is really about um, educating ourselves so that we can talk to our children differently, we can take action differently, we can look at politics differently and history differently. Yes, I mean, I think what CURE creates a, a, a space that's non-judgmental for you to be able to ask questions, and I love it when people ask questions, and they come to each um, event that we have with questions, with their own thoughts. Um, and ideas, and that we're, if they're not honest and open, we're never able to really address the issues. Um, and I think that it's, I mean, even as a person of color, I'm South Asian, um, it's still a really uncomfortable topic for me, and uh -huh. I tend to not want to talk about it. And, and why is that? Um, because, because you're never, you're always afraid of the other person's reaction, and you also, I think, don't want to create uncomfortable conversations. And I think what Cure does is that we bring in a facilitator who's used to creating the uncomfortable space and allows us to talk about those uncomfortable conversations in a productive environment versus a, um, they're all emotionally charged, but they're not, they're productive, emotionally charged conversations. I think it's interesting that you point out that it is uncomfortable for everybody involved at times. Yes. And that's okay. Absolutely. And that's kind of the point, is to move past that. It is the point. So if people want to get involved, what should they do? If they want to get involved with Cure or they're interested in maybe setting up something similar in their own community, what's your advice to them? Oh, I mean, well, first you can go to learnwithcure.com um, and reach out to us. Uh, we're, we'll have conversations with anyone about this. Um, if they want to do it in their own community, I would say, you know, pick a topic, something that's been in the Times, in the news, our Democratic, um, you know, candidates are talking about it. Right. Um, pick something that really hits you and um, find someone who's knowledgeable about it and gather folks to, to talk about it. It's that simple, really. I think, yes, I, I've brought individuals from other communities into um, CURE events who have uh, discussed bringing it to their events, uh, like in um, the Riversides, Pleasantville, different communities, and one of the ones that I've gotten the most interest from, from other communities, is how to talk about race and racism with your children, and then we're doing a parents' workshop, um, oh, and I think the parents' workshop is incredible because it's going to be a few hours to really give parents the tools it is a conversation that most parents avoid, but around kindergarten and first grade, between kindergarten and first grade, your children will bring it up to you and bring it to your attention. And it's one where parents are just not equipped, whether you're a person of color or whether you're white, they're just not equipped to talk to their kids because we just haven't been taught how to talk to your kids right. about race. And that one, um, I've seen the most amount of interest, but really that may be a good starter in the future, you still need to do all these other type of trainings to kind of get uh, an education where it's a constant learning. So it's not where you take one class or you take go to one event and you feel like you know how to address this topic. It's one that you're constantly learning about. Again, back to that journey. It's a journey. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I want to say too that um, you know these are these are conversations, and there are people who have been fighting for civil rights and the rights of people of color for centuries and more recently decades and um and so you know 
there are people that have said, hey, we've been having these conversations for a really long time. What do you guys think you're doing? And my response to that is always, you know, three years ago, I didn't know about redlining. I didn't know that, um, you know, there were so many men of color in prison who literally haven't even had a trial yet, who just couldn't get out because they couldn't afford bail, right? right? I didn't know how ghettos were set up. I didn't understand any of it. So it, it really does shift your lens. You look at the country differently. You look at your community differently. You start to talk to people differently. And that happens over time. So yes, we're only having conversations. We, we're not you know, doing what so many of the incredible social justice, social justice warriors have done before us. But if you don't know it, you can't fight for anything. You need to know what you're fighting for. And that's what I believe. I believe when people know, they'll fight differently. Yeah, I think I agree. I think one of the things that I like about Cure is it really addresses issues related to race and not socioeconomic. And it really breaks down to the arguments of why, you know, what has happened in our legal system and our in our institutions into why one particular group of people are targeted right. versus a socioeconomic issue and we really are able to support we're able to learn in our journey to be able to, to show why things have evolved the way they have so learn with cure.com yes check it out yes and uh, consider going to one of these workshops where they are held the undoing workshop yeah, undoing racism yeah people for people's institute beyond. consider mm-hmm. doing that mm-hmm. and it could change your life as well right absolutely never know when it better. can mm-hmm. where it can lead you that's great i'm so excited you guys met each other on an i, 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 I know that's amazing i knew that that's <laughs> awesome see you just again the journey and it's all <laughs> we're all in this together you guys are incredible thank you for everything you're doing yes. thank you that it goes back to you again it, you know it's a process where yep. we all do what we can to try and you know bring change and make the world a better place i know it sounds corny but it's true, it is <laughs> yes. true. and a, a quick uh, push for um, fundraising um we are having an event on october 25th at rio bravo from 8 to 11 a bunch of us cure ladies have our birthdays it's your birthday yeah. yes birthday. <laughs> and so if you just want to meet us to see that we're just you know we're a lot of us are moms in the neighborhood um who You're we are yeah, and come have a have a glass of wine or donate go. ten dollars. We anything would help because all of these events we pay for the facilitators, um, but we try to make most of our events free so that everyone has access to them. That's great. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Find us on indivisiblewestchester.org or. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Most importantly, keep on resisting.